We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Sermons with Rabbi David Seth Kirchner, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shana Tova, everyone. A happy, healthy, and sweet new year to you and to your families, and a meaningful fast to each of you. Tonight is considered to be the holiest night of the year. And on this, the holiest night of the year, I turn to two great minds, philosophers, teachers of Torah, of learning, and of scholarship to inspire us as they have inspired me every day. I, of course, am referring to the great duo of Salt and Peppa. And tonight, in their immortal words, I want to talk about sex, baby. I want to talk about you and me. I want to talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Now, unlike the balance of the lyrics, I'm going to pause right there. Because this evening, I have no interest in talking to you about sex, at least not in the way that you're all thinking. But I want to use sex as one of many examples to talk to you tonight about ways in which our society have become wildly less private and more public. So much so that I think it is eroding parts of our character, our morality, and who we stand for as a Jewish people. I decided to talk about this topic because of a story I heard four months ago that was emblematic to me of my need to share my thoughts on this topic. It was a story shared with me about a rabbinic colleague who was approached by a woman in his community and was shown a picture from Instagram. The picture was of a 16 and a half year old, almost 17 year old young girl. She had just finished her junior year and attended the junior prom. And the caption said something akin to the notion of junior year was great, junior prom was amazing, but the after prom was unforgettable. And in the picture with this caption is this girl and her boyfriend covered only by sheets and she put in a hashtag that her status in life has now forever changed. You're all smart enough to read between the lines. I don't need to spell out for all of you what had happened for this girl and that she had decided to put this on Instagram for 2,000 of her followers to know and to see and for the 1,500 followers of her boyfriend that she tagged in the post. Now, I have zero interest tonight or any night in talking to you publicly about when it's appropriate for kids to become sexually active. 
That's not my responsibility except when it comes to my kids, and that's a choice I'll do privately with Dory. But it is my intention to talk to all of you tonight about our responsibility in teaching and in modeling for our kids the differences and the values between that which is private and that which is public. And what I am fearful of and afraid of is that we as a society have blurred the lines between the two to such a place that we don't know the difference of either hemisphere, of either public or of private. And if I were to point a finger of blame in any direction, the last person I would blame for this act is the girl herself. Doesn't mean that she's not blameworthy. She's just the last person I would blame. Because in her 16 and a half years of life, she spent all of it with the platform of being told that everything that happens to her needs to be validated by sharing it with the world. Look at the presentation of the food I'm about to eat. You all must see it as I take a picture and send it around. Look at this vacation I am enjoying or the hotel room that I have. You all must see it as I send it around. Look at this dress that I just bought. You all must see it as I send it around. And look at this jerk who just cut me off on the highway. You all must see his car and his license plate number as I send it around. You see, the problem is twofold. First, we do not all need to see it. But we've created a society, especially with our younger people, that thinks this way. That for it to be valid and right, it must be seen by others and reacted to. And secondly, in doing that, we have erased the line between what is public and what is private. I want to take a moment and look at a few other examples and other disciplines with each of you. I remember way back when, when I was a younger boy. I don't remember if I was in third grade or fourth grade or second grade. It really is irrelevant for the story, and I didn't put much energy into researching that part of the story. But it was somewhere around then. The year was 1984. 1984. And I was a student at the Pinellas County Jewish Day School, somewhere outside of Clearwater. And we had this amazing teacher of blessed memory named Judy Gallagher. And we did an entire section, weeks of study, on the electoral process and democracy, which culminated in the actual election day where Reagan was running against Mondale, that we in the school would all have an opportunity to vote in our own election. And it wouldn't be a student election. It would be an election of who we thought as students should be president. I remember we took this old refrigerator box that all of us could fit into, and we created a door, and we all walked into the door, and inside was a piece of paper for all of us and a pencil, and we marked off who we wanted in this beautiful and anonymous way and put it in, and there was our electoral process, which isn't so wildly different than the way we do it here today. I remember as a little boy walking out of that booth and running up to my friends, all of seven, eight, nine years old, whatever I was. And I remember saying, who'd you vote for? Who'd you vote for? And other friends going, well, who did you vote for? Why'd you vote for him? 
And I remember Mrs. Gallagher, she heard this. And Mrs. Gallagher was the most amazing, kind, nurturing, beloved teacher. She was one of these teachers who I'm still talking about today, all these years later, who made every student feel like they were her favorite. Everyone felt that way. And she rarely ever raised her voice. She was loving and kind. And she came over and she scolded us, which she had never done before. And she said, don't you ever, ever tell someone who you voted for against your will. And never ask someone who they voted for. Voting is a private act that need not be public. If you choose to tell someone who you voted for, that is your choice. But we don't put our names down in the ballots here or in the real ballot box. And that's a choice between you and no one else. And no one should force you into saying who you voted for. Now, I remember my parents telling me the same thing. And I remember in the 70s and 80s, with that ethic leading our lives, and by seeing some of your heads nod, you remember it too. But today, today it says, if our electoral process is determined only by announcing who we vote for, it's only determined by what lawn sign we put out in front of our homes. It can only be determined by what our political views are based on the share button that we press for an article that we agree with or disagree with. And we take those passions and those convictions and those feelings and we share them with anyone who we think is listening, even though half the time they never asked. And to hearken back to my words from Rosh Hashanah, we take one article, one view, one vote that now has become public and is no longer sacred or private, and we have painted someone in a particular color with one brush, all based on that decision. And we have blurred the value of democracy and the private square. That our political views need not be shared with anyone and everyone whose paths we cross. Of course, we're entitled to. Of course, we're allowed to, <coughs> excuse me, but we do not have to. It does not give us more bona fides to announce who and why we voted in a particular manner. Now, I share this with you not just because I want to preach on this day to all of you, but I want to preach to myself too. I am just as guilty of these wrongdoings as all of you are in some way or another. I sit with you as I share these words and look inward on ways that I could be a lot more like Mrs. Gallagher. So we looked at political distinctions between private and public. Now let's look at some intimate ones, how people can invade others' privacy and take away their dignity. Tonight is September the 18th. It is exactly eight years to the day that Tyler Clementi, a young freshman at Rutgers University, took his life, which was filled with promise and hope and opportunity, and jumped off the George Washington Bridge where all of that hope and opportunity and promise instantly came to an end. For those of you here that don't remember the story of Tyler Clementi, he was a brand new freshman from New Jersey, 
living as a closeted gay man. He had decided in his first days in his new dorm, in the privacy of his dorm room, that he would engage in consensual intimacy with another man. His roommate that he knew for a whopping three days, Darun Ravi, decided it would be cute and funny to set up his webcam in a hidden manner so that he could not only capture this intimate encounter of his new roommate, Tyler Clementi, but he could broadcast it throughout the dormitory. He did just that. And when Clementi was outed against his choice and against his will, instead of facing his family or all those people in school, he did the unthinkable and went to the George Washington Bridge and jumped to his death. He left this world ashamed, embarrassed, and humiliated. Now I contend that the real reason that Tyler Clementi died eight years ago today is that we have given kids tools without giving them a code of ethics of which goes with them. I remember the day so clearly when my parents gave me the keys to the car and I was first allowed to drive by myself. I heard a lecture spoken to me that I heard given to each of my brothers. And I bet some version of this lecture you were given and gave as well. The lecture went something along the lines of, we're giving you the keys to this car. If used improperly, this car can maim or kill people. Some you don't know, some with families, and some who you know and love. Treat this car with your utmost focus and respect and be careful at all times. It was clear that a car was not for horsing around. It was not a toy, it was not something to play with, and if handled incorrectly, people could get really hurt or die. But when our kid gets into fifth grade, we throw them a phone, and we think how great it is we can text them, we're gonna be late. And when they're in sixth grade, we give them an Instagram account. In seventh grade, they get Snapchat. In eighth grade, they're on Twitter. And never, as a whole, do we have conversations with them about the rules and the guidelines and the ethics and the values and the morals that go hand in hand with this level of technology. And part of the reason is because our moral speedometers just can't keep pace with technology. Moral speedometers seem to go at the pace of the sun rising and the sun setting. And technology is going at mock speed, like you're orbiting the earth and you see sunrise and sunset 30 times in a day. And this is the challenge. And it's not limited to Tyler Clementi. How many kids have participated in the act of sexting and then had these pictures shared around against their will, invading that level of privacy to which the kids are so humiliated, they take their own lives. A week doesn't pass where a young girl in particular does not commit suicide because she was coerced into sending an inappropriate picture to a private friend who she's in relationship with 
and that privacy goes public. Or what about the story of Aaron Andrews, the NFL sideline reporter who was in her hotel room, in the privacy of her hotel room, doing whatever it is that she chooses to do in the privacy of her hotel room. No one else there. And a deranged stalker takes some technological device and puts it on the people of her hotel room door, where Andrews gets out of the shower, gets dressed, and even walks around for a minute disrobed, and this person captures all of it against her knowledge and then disseminates it for the world to see. I would argue that's a form of rape because rape is putting yourself sexually on a person who doesn't want it or consent to it. And this is taking away the privacy of a person who would normally be clothed in public and taking pictures of her in the nude against her knowledge or without her consent and disseminating amongst all people. Another absolute abrogation of the division between public and private. Now you might say to me, Rabbi, that person was deranged. None of us in here are deranged. We would never do something like that. I I sure hope that's the case. But anyone who would look at the attachment of the file that has a video of Aaron Andrews in it, or anything that is similar in nature is complicit in that wrongdoing. Because they are complicit in taking something public that was meant to be private against their will, and that is as wrong as it gets. Well, we've looked at political, public, and private, and we have looked at intimate issues of public and private. I want to look at two more with you. The first is a more challenging case. There are three cases in particular, like the case of WikiLeaks or the Pentagon Papers that was made and reminded us of its infamy through the movie The Post, and the case of Colin Powell's emails in 2016. If you look on WikiLeaks' website, it says that it's an organization that facilitates the anonymous leaking of secret information through its website. It was founded in 2006 by Julian Assange, who was an activist, a computer programmer, and a hacker. And from that time of 2006 till 12 years later of 2018, it has broken into countless private, secret, and unauthorized details and shared them with the world. Now, I remember so vividly in 2016 when Colin Powell, former Secretary of State and distinguished American leader, had his emails hacked into and shared with the world. Now, it wasn't a case of me taking an email and sending it to Scott, let's say, or sending it to Dory, let's say, or sending it to Fran as the president of the synagogue, and they hit the forward button to say, look what the rabbi said or did. This was a case where I had sent those emails as if it's a private conversation between the two of us, as email often works. And hackers broke into the system that held all of the data of all of Colin Powell's emails and uncovered the fact that even though he was part of a Republican administration, that he would put his weight behind the candidacy of Hillary Clinton at the time. And every news channel from CNN to Fox to ABC, CBS, NBC, and the list goes on, even Al Jazeera, they all said 
Colin Powell's emails were hacked today, and here's what they said. We all immediately glossed over how that information was obtained. And it was no different in 2008 when WikiLeaks proudly claimed responsibility for hacking into Sarah Palin's email account. Not through the forward button, but literally hacking in. And all of us are sitting there like we're at Kutcher's at the buffet, like eating from the trough of data. Give us more, give us more, give us more. Without any appreciation or understanding how these private pieces have grossly become public and we have ignored it. We have forgotten about it. And it doesn't matter if it was hacking into the DNC or hacking into John Podesta or 500,000 messages that were sent on September the 11th between leading officials that were brought one way or the other, this information was obtained illegally. And what you all need to know is that Judaism has specific instructions of what we do with data and with items that are obtained legally. We don't use them. It's against Jewish law to use them. The Talmud says that if someone steals a lulav in order to fulfill the obligation of shaking the lulav on Sukkot, that God does not hear that person's petition or prayer. They say the same thing about someone who steals tefillin or a Torah scroll, that God does not hear their prayer, meaning it's better not to shake a lulav than it is to use a stolen one. And whether we steal it ourselves or we receive it as stolen, it is not acceptable to be used. We also know in Judaism that we have no Robin Hoods. You can't steal a Torah and give it to a community that doesn't have one. You can't steal the tzedakah box and give food to the people who are hungry. You've got to follow the rules of public and private and acceptability. And we're not allowed to take those things that are meant to be public, excuse me, meant to be private, and to make them public. That is the essence of what we're about. But we've lost some of that essence. Even in the book of Leviticus, when we are commanded of our responsibilities in bringing sacrifices, God specifically states to the children of Aaron and Aaron himself, for seven days you cannot leave the tent of meeting. For seven days you need to stand at the foot of the tent of meeting and to reflect and to be alone. And then after the seven days, you can go and be a part of the community. The same thing happens for those who are oppressed with leprosy, which it was believed that one received by gossiping, as if to say you need to be punished and you can't be around others. And what Judaism was really saying is every person deserves and needs time to be alone and time to be private. Every person. And if we don't have time to be alone, and if we don't have time for privacy, then we can't be the best that we can be in ourselves, and we can't bring out the best in each other. All of us seek in some way or another to have balance in our lives. And what I want us to do on this Yom Kippur is to strive to achieve the balance between public and private, to feel when it's a time to have one or the other and to make clear, unambiguous lines between both of them.
I think privacy is a moral right that all of us have been afforded since God first asked Adam, where are you? And he said, I am here by myself alone, atoning for the sin of eating from the tree of knowledge. Since that time, all of us should be given that moral, that ethical, and that value-based gift of privacy and hippodidut, alone time, time to look inward and time to look outward. I want to close on this holy night of the year with a story that I learned repeated often from Rabbi Friedman, who I hope is sharing the story with his new community and congregation in Chicago. It's the story of a very well-known rabbi of a very large synagogue. It's the holy night of Kol Nidre. The cantor is ready to intone the words. The procession has come into the congregation and the rabbi cannot be found. They run to his house and knock on the door. He's not there. They march the path that he would take to and from the synagogue and they don't see him. And they call a search committee and everyone is looking for the rabbi. After about two hours deep in the woods, they see the rabbi sitting on a cliff surrounded by nature on a little chair, davening. And they yell, Rabbi, Rabbi! He says, oh, my fellow, I am so sorry. I am late for services. I came here before Kol Nidre to talk to God. I came here to Davin and I got carried away. My sincerest apologies. The congregant said, Rabbi, you taught us God's the same everywhere. God's the same at shul. God's the same at home. God's the same here in the forest. Why do you have to come here to talk to God if God's the same in all places? Why didn't you just go to the shul? And the rabbi says, it's true. God is the same in all of these places. But I am not. What the rabbi was reminding us all of is that we all need moments of privacy. And we all need to be reminded of how important and sacred privacy is for us and our lives and in the things in which we share. And what we all have to be deputized with is the moral fiber and courage to have serious conversations with tomorrow's leaders about things that should be celebrated as public and things that should be sacred and remain private. For if we do that, then we have a chance to fulfill our history, to continue with our tradition, and to lead the next generation with the values that will shape us to a better tomorrow. May that be God's will, and may we all have a gemar chatimatova, a good final inscription in the book of life. Amen.